What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 124. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. Although I'm feeling kind of sleepy. I don't know why. I feel like just we've been talking about it a lot, maybe. As long as we don't talk about sleep much this episode, I think I'll be able to stay awake through the whole thing. Okay, I'll do my best to not yawn as well. You know, <laughs> yawns are contagious and such. So Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be a problem, though. We should be fine. Yeah. Well, with that said, this week we are doing a mental magic episode on sleep. Oh, no. (laughs) We're only going to spend the entire episode talking about sleep. So if you're new to the show, before we jump into our usual housekeeping stuff, if you're new to the show, mental magic is kind of a series where we just talk about different mental health related things. And I'll do a more specific intro in a bit. But our usual housekeeping course if you're not already in the discord check that out the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our twitter page best place to go to chat with all of us ben and myself as well as the rest of the traficionado community um and it's been popping off there have been so many trophies going there a lot of them are ben's but uh, <laughs> there are a lot of trophies in the trophy decks channel yeah, yeah. Picks. and spoiler season for bro is out and and we're in the middle of all that too so definitely check out the discord and if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. And I got to say, this week you're getting like an entire an entire episode. We recorded like 40 minutes of Ben going through the chromatic cube. So um, <laughs> if you yeah. want to watch me, well, uh, I'm not going to say lose a game, but I, I certainly don't win. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so perks over there on the Patreon include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, as well as our Draft Chaff hero card sent to you. Sorry, not unedited recordings of the show. We're not doing that anymore. It's the pre-show. So And it's honestly a good pre-show. If you want to hear us, uh, it's it's, uh, it's behind-the-scenes banter. I, I, I doxed Zach in this pre-show, so there yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Draft Chaff pod. All right. Onto a cracker draft type thing. Ben, this is a chromatic cube draft, it looks like. Yep, chromatic cube. So I don't know how long this one's going to be live. We actually were just playing some of it before the show. This very draft, and I don't know, dude, there's alchemy cards in it. And we were also discussing about how the rebalances and the presence of alchemy cards honestly just sours us to the entire experience of the draft itself. But it's still a cube. It's still an arena. And people are going to be playing it. I'm going to be playing it. It's going to be fun. Uh, from what we can gather, there's going to be a lot of multicolor nonsense in this one. Uh, I'm just going to skim through this pack pretty quickly. There's Into the Royal, Tatiova's Good in Lands. Uh, that's, if there's a lands deck, she'll be key in it. Invigorating Hot Spring, Tireless Provisioner, which is a really good card. I hate to admit it, better than Tireless Tracker, one of my all-time favorite cards. Uh, Sling Gang, Lieutenant, was a Takanuma. Uh, Genesis Ultimatum, Captain Sisse for like a green-white legendaries deck. So far, about halfway through the pack, I mean, you want to make sure you have interaction so like Into the Royal can be good. But, you know, in this, you really want fixing, you really want ramp, and Tireless Provisioner just does both of those so well. Yeah, it would be between the Provisioner and the Tattoo Over, but for the colors, for the effect, I, I would just go for Just for those that don't know, it's two and a green for a 3-2, and it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield... Uh, you create either a treasure or a food, and you pretty much always create treasure. Uh, this is this is one of those effects that ends up being really busted when you think about how it works. I mean, Lotus Cobra, uh, two mana, two one. Whenever land enters the battlefield, float a mana of any color. That was a really good rare for a huge chunk of like Magic's history. Uh, Tireless Provisioner does the same thing, except that mana sticks around and you can choose to sacrifice it later if you don't want to use it right away. Uh, but it has the same broken effect where if you can get multiple lands on the battlefield in a turn, you can have some really explosive draws. 
Also in this pack is a Magmatic Channeler for some kind of spells deck. Sap Vitality, it says Alchemy on it. I don't play it. Uh, Dreadhorde Invasion, that one's pretty good. Um, if you're playing like a Sacrifice deck, this can make a, uh, well, it can amass every single turn. So if you're sacking a thing every single turn, it's good. Um, kind of like a little Bitter Blossom effect. There's a Fae of Wishes, which, I mean, when, when you work with Fae of Wishes and it goes well, you're really doing it. It, it tutors, uh, you can recur it. You can have a wish board, which is a lot of fun. Um, actually, maybe that should have been the pick. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of selling myself on the Fey here. Fey, which is a phenomenal card, one of my all time favorites, as well as the next card of the pack. But I I think Fey is tough because you, you kind of need to know the cube, and neither of us do <laughs> uh, to yeah. know if Fey is actually worth going in on. But um, having a wish board is never really a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up is Holebreaker Horror. Oh yes. <laughs> I, did you see that uh, that screenshot I put in Discord this week? Where I was playing red green werewolves in uh, in Val Limited, and I I flashed in a Holebreaker Horror, and an opponent scooped at the spot. Yeah, because it's an incredible card, and once it hits the board, it's like well, you you just can't do anything. Yeah, I, I was like I was we were at parody, and they attacked with the six six, and I flashed in a Holebreaker Horror out of my admittedly zero island deck. So. Yeah. That's always a fun time. Uh, hop in the Discord for, for nonsense like that. Uh, there's an Asika God of the Tree. I mean, you're playing some big nonsensical permanence that, that, that the backside, the uh, the world tree can flip into. Like stuff like the Holebreaker Horror. Um, I mean, it, it's good. It's ramp. It's up there. I think it's one of the best cards in the pack. The last card is a Marius Call. Uh, I think the best cards in this pack are probably the Provisioner, Asika, probably Holebreaker, and then Fey. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, this is another one of those sort of things. I think excluding the Fey, maybe. Uh, most of these other cards are replaceable in that they're big, bomby win cons. Mm-hmm. Tireless Provisioner is not that. <laughs> it's pretty hard to replace the effect on Tireless Provisioner, so I would go there to start the draft and then hope to wheel something fun or just pick up a different bomb in a different pack. Mm-hmm. And for the record, I did take Tireless Provisioner, and then I built the deck around it that, well, it's... Let's just say Tireless Provisioners is pretty much the best card in the deck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben. So, I'm no longer as dead as I was. I, 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 was, uh, I was pretty sick last week. We had to kind of postpone recording for a little bit, uh, which, which was rough. So, I, I had a, like a 104 fever for a little bit. That was pretty bad. Um, yeah, that, that never fun, but it, it made me take a few days off of school. And honestly, a big reason that I got so sick was that I was just overworking myself and not sleeping enough, which a little bit of the uh, the reasoning behind this episode. Um, so being being on the mend is good. Uh, I have a new phone. Finally, my, my last phone was um, functionally unusable and I, I stayed through it for, for a very long time. Uh, but having a new phone is, is it's a nice experience, you know, when everything just works and it's all smooth and fresh tech is always fun. Uh, my Tibbles this week, I came so close at the arena open. So close. It's been a while since I day two'd. Uh, I actually day two'd pretty easily this time around. I had a busted deck. It, you would have loved playing this deck. Uh, it, it was it was Sapperlings on steroids. Double Slimefoot. Uh, double Deathbloom Thalid. I had double Lanamore Elves. So already, like, you know, you're playing these Slimefoots and Deathbloom Thalids on turn two. A few games I had, I just played out a bunch of three twos and just killed my opponent on turn five because they just couldn't stop all the three twos. Um, and then the top end, I had Thorn Elemental, Grun, uh, Kazarov, Sengir, Pure Blood, and I had a, a Skittering Surveyor uh, and double Lanamore Envoy to fix myself for red for Kazarov's activated ability. 
super good removal suite. I had a fungal infection, a couple of viscerates. Um, and then the thing that, that just really sent it into overdrive, I had Helm of the Host, which for those that remember original Dom, uh, it's a four mana equipment. Yeah, four mana equipment. Equip five. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you create a token that's a copy of the equipped creature, except if it's legendary, it's not, and it gains haste. And then usually it would say goes away at the end of turn or sacrifice it. But no, it doesn't say that. So I, I think the most slime foots I had on the board were was just two before people would scoop usually because past that, <laughs> it's just silly. Um, Helm of the Host is one of the, the most unbeatable cards in the set, and that certainly didn't hurt. So I day two pretty easily with that deck. My day two deck was Esper Junk, and that can be good. Um, I actually started off 4-0. Uh, with just kind of this jumbled pile of, I had an Ariel, the the black white knight legend. Uh, she taps to make knights, and then she can tap to destroy stuff. She's great. Uh, but then I just had a bunch of random junk, like <laughs> like with two ones and three twos, and and a few death bloom ballads, but just like value stuff. I was splashing blue for cloud reader sphinx and divination, so my, my deck was coming a little short. Uh, and like I said, started off great, started four zero, and then. I come across this opponent and they're playing really fast. They're playing red, white, but they're like, they're taking game actions. Like it's nobody's business. And I'm like, what is going on here? They're just like flying through their turn, just like really fast. And, um, I quickly learned it was because they, they couldn't lose. They, they had leader Dawnbringer on turn five in both games. So those games, uh, I lost because they cast Lyra Dawnbringer on turn five, both games. And, uh, you know, I, I, when people asked, a few people were asking, like, oh, how'd day two go? And um, I told them, like, hey, my opponent had Lyra and I didn't. So uh, it, it sucked. It was brutal because that's the furthest I've gotten in an open in quite a while. But later that day, I did qualify for the next uh, arena qualifier day two. Thanks to that stupid deck I posted in Discord, the red-white artifact deck. It's kind of like playing a... <laughs> it's kind of like playing um, like an Urza Saga deck in, in like, Vintage Cube. Uh, while your opponents are all playing like standard that that's about what it feels like so uh, if you want a busted deck to go like 7-0 a bunch of historic uh, stuff just check my my link in discord it, it's it's nuts anyway uh, that's all it's all my stuff how about you yeah so I mean we were talking like a week and a half now because like you mentioned we're recording this a bit late so a little bit more has happened than when I originally made these these notes up but um, I moved so that was something I did last weekend and I'm still not, I, I'm the type of person who, when I move, like I need to have everything settled by like the day after I've moved in. So like things mm. out of boxes, things in the play in their place and everything. I feel that. Yeah. Um, and I did for the first time, I actually like packed stuff properly in boxes, labeled the boxes and like actually did it right. The last time I moved, I just shoved everything in a van and was like, I'll figure it out when it gets <laughs> good to enough. Location. Um, so this went really smoothly overall. Uh, it took me a few days cause I didn't, the timing didn't work out with when people were available to help me out. So it took a couple of extra days and it probably otherwise should have, but, mm. um, you know, that was fine. And then, uh, my couch was supposed to be delivered and it just wasn't, oh. I had to like call and figure out what was going on with that. And then they were like, Oh, it's going to come, uh, Thursday. And I was like, I won't be in town. <laughs> so nice. I didn't schedule it to show up that day and I won't be in town. They're like, okay, just reschedule it when they call you to tell you. Okay. Um, so that's like my Tybalt was the, the couch stuff. My Teferi was that I moved, um, and it went pretty well overall. And then my sister's wedding was phenomenal. My, I was down in uh, my hometown for, uh, for my sister's wedding and it, it was just exceptionally fun. One of the most fun events I've been to, probably the most fun wedding I've been to. So, um, yeah, really, nice. really great 
great that it, it went off so well for her. Um, and then my couch showed up today. So I did hey. get the couch. It did, it nice. did arrive. So <laughs> stuff. All right. On to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Dorigan. And Dorigan asks, what are your thoughts on secret layers? Who? Okay. I think my thoughts on them have changed actually since we've talked about this topic a few times. So I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious if this is the same as the last time you've, we've talked about it. I think I like them now. Maybe a hot take, uh, not the mechanically unique ones. I don't even really count that as a secret layer that that's like the walking dead nonsense. That's, that's all just junk, whatever that is. It's not this, but the secret layers as in the ones where you can buy a certain subset of cards that have been released with new art or new flavor or something um, in like a small package for some price and you can get like a foil or non foil. That's what I refer to when I say secret layer. I've only purchased one. It was the Thalia one because I love Thalia. Uh, they're gorgeous cards. The foiling is nice. They haven't bent too much, although I've had them encased in, you know, good sleeves and a binder since. Um I remember, like, I think it was with you years ago, like 10 years ago, whenever we started playing, um, we were in Nirvana and we were looking at all the Nirvana uh, local game stores, South Jersey, great place, hit it up. Um, we were looking at all like the cool arts on like Pokemon stuff. And we were yeah, saying to each Force other, of like, will as well, because a buddy of ours yeah, that's playing what it was. the card game called Force <laughs> of Will. And those cards are immaculate. They're stunning. Every single one of them. They are. And we were talking to each other like, why doesn't Magic have good alternate arts? And in that era, they didn't. Like in this era, it's it like every set, every single set, there's something that like it makes it like so like the, there's a special release or there's a special border or like alternate art frames or something. But this is when sets like th- like there were sets like many in a row where that wasn't a thing. And when oh, we got full I mean, art up, lands, up until we started like, getting the alt, uh, up until we started getting like the alternate borders, like there were no alternate anything. Yeah, you just had one printing of every card. Maybe like and like the occasional GP promo was as blinged sure. out as your deck was going to get. But um, all that really was was an alternate art. Like the framing was the same, text was the same. Sometimes you might have extra flavor text or something, but yeah. And I guess like there was there was some old border stuff still like floating around, and but. Then when when they started releasing these like alternate frames and stuff, some in the community took it like, ooh, a little weird. Like, what's going on? What are they trying to pull here? But I, I think it's I, I thought it was good, you know, and because we again, we were complaining about this for years that our cards looked boring, like the same old framing, same old, you know, text box every single time. Now they have like artist series where they give an artist free reign to design anything they want. You know, that's, that, that's awesome. Yeah. I think I'm in a similar boat to you. I hated the way that they launched secret layers where they're like, Hey, here are these brand new cards that are actually walking dead and you're never going to get these mechanics ever again. And they're legal in real formats. So have fun. That was stupid. I, I hated that. Um, yeah. Same. What I love about secret layers is that they, they do scratch that itch in that if you're looking for a specific uh, set of cards from an, from an artist or a specific uh, vibe, I guess, for certain things, you probably can find a secret layer to do that or one that is plant, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they've turned them basically into, I guess, the physical equivalent of like skin packs in video games. Yeah, actually. Which is w- exactly what I think they should be. If you're going to do a product release like this of any kind, like you shouldn't f- put paywalls in front of specific cards that uh, that are difficult to get a hold of if they're mechanically unique. The fact that you can buy, and, and for instance, this is what I did, and I, I, I haven't purchased a secret layer to be transparent, but uh, a few years ago they released one that had a really awesome alternate art borderless version of Spell Queller. 
and I'm a mm-hmm. spirits player in modern. And I was like, okay, I love this card. I'm going to go get the card. Um, and it's just like, you know, I bought them as singles, but it's just like buying any other printing of a spell queller. Yeah. It has nicer art. So, um, I think, I think that's the way to keep doing it. And then again, if you don't actually want the secret layer, maybe you only want one card. Cause that was the case for me. The secret layer that the spell queller came in, there were like three or four other cards in it. And I didn't care to have those. But I wanted the spell quellers, so I just bought a play set of the spell quellers. Um, and that's where the secondary market comes in, and that's that's the nice part about magic, I guess. Yeah, and this isn't the only place you could buy a spell queller, right? Like, if you right. wanted to, you could go get the dollar version on TCG right. Player or whatever, and like that that's fine, too. Or, like... Uh, I mean, it's it's the functional equivalent of like like I said, just skin packs or being able yeah. to buy specific skins in video games. Yeah, to, and who doesn't like blinging out their deck a bit, right? Like yeah. those those basic lands. Like who who wouldn't pay for a bunch of those if you could just grab a bunch when you could, right? So I think they have after a disastrous opening with the nonsense of the Walking Dead junk. Um, I think they've recovered to the point where I'd say secret layers tend to be good. And honestly, sometimes they're good monetary value too. Sure. Sometimes you lose out, you're paying for the bling. That's just, you know, if you want to pay the extra 20 bucks on top of your additional, like original cost, then that's up to you. You don't have to, but, uh, some of them actually are a good value that the Phyrexian Praetor one a while back ended up being like, I think you netted like $40 if you bought them all. So if you're like a commander player and you know, you're going to, eventually put all the Praetors into decks, then that's actually a pretty solid way to do it. Now, that takes a little bit away from local game stores, which, you know, that <laughs> this is Wizards kind of creating their own little market to, to sell singles. And that has some interesting slippery slope stuff to it. But for, for the most part, I don't see it going out of bounds. I mean, they've done some charity ones too, like for, for extra life. And they've done these like, uh, like youth hospital ones with like children's drawings on secret layer cards. I, I think these are mostly harmless at this point. And uh, I, I honestly want to see them keep going because while I've only gotten the Thalia one, there have been other ones, uh, the art in which I've really loved. Um, and if I see these cards around, I'll probably pick them up uh, buying the singles that I mean. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too. Like you can just totally ignore them and it doesn't affect the way you play the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is which is what I really like. I will say I also hate that they're called secret layers because there's nothing secret about them. Like <laughs> they, they have to yeah. show you all the cards that go into them. <laughs> A little weird, but um, but yeah. So let's get to our main topic which is sleep, a nice mental magic, which we haven't had in a while. So Zach, I got a puzzle for you. Uh, what's the difference between a Phyrexian infiltrator on Dominaria in the Benelish guard and me? Oh God, what? One is a Benelish sleeper and the other is a Ben that wishes he was a sleeper. <laughs> All right. So for the two of you who are still listening after that, <laughs> uh uh no i i actually just cast sleep real quick it's a two blue blue for a sorcery those that don't know uh it was actually pretty good when when it was in in limited i think it was what m19 tap all creatures that an opponent controls they don't untap during their uh that player's next untap step really good finisher in like a blue aggressive deck yeah it was it was printed in a handful of the m sets um over time but uh yeah pretty solid card so this is as i mentioned earlier in the show this is part of a recurring series called mental magic that we haven't done in quite a while, but we do have a few of them. And our goal here is to try to bring up certain mental health uh, topics that aren't often talked about and then try to relate them in a little bit to magic. But generally it's, it's focused more on the mental health aspect, mental health aspect than the magic aspect. So this week we're talking about sleep and I want to start the show out kind of by going we're, we've got a little bit of a flow here, right? So we're going to go through, um, some sleep myths, some things that people think are true about sleep, but 
seem to not be. Uh, a few things that are really important to getting good sleep and then tips and tricks to getting better sleep as well. Do you want to throw a quick disclaimer out there? Neither Ben nor I are sleep experts. We are not medical professionals. And so if you're really having serious issues with your sleep, go go see a doctor. I, in fact, am probably one of the people you should listen to the least about this because <laughs> one of the reasons we talked about having this episode is because I have been so sleep deprived recently and it's honestly been affecting me a lot in my daily life. All right. So let's talk some sleep myths because these are probably affecting all of us. And I know I definitely got a, uh, have been in the past affected by some of these. Myth number one, your body gets used to getting less sleep. Now, this is something that I think a lot of us fall, fall prey to. It, it feels like over time you kind of can get used to it. And you're like, oh, you know, I, I don't need that much sleep. But what studies have actually shown is that persistent sleep deprivation not only affects like your daytime performance, how you act throughout the day, but it, it actually harms decision making, harms your memory, harms your focus, harms your creativity. And then piled on top of itself, it actually kind of compounds and messes up other aspects of your health, including your metabolism, your cardiovascular system, your immune system. To Ben's point earlier about being, you know, thinking getting getting sick was largely to do with being sleep deprived. It messes with hormone production and then otherwise it messes with your mental health as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Fully believe it. I, I've definitely felt that my mental health was taking a toll having less sleep, mostly because of the tiredness. And you honestly can't think as straight when for example, as a teacher, you wake up really early and you have intense mental pressures put upon you at like 7 a.m. <laughs> but also because you just don't really feel like yourself. It's hard to like quantify how rested you are. And that's something that I've kind of struggled with myself. So unfortunately, when you take all these things into consideration, you kind of look at the different aspects of uh, sleep deprivation, the different effects of sleep deprivation, and you put them together. One of the potential side effects could be that you think you're getting used to it because it's just like you hit a bottom and you can't go any lower than that. And so you're like, well, I, I guess I got used to it and I can, I can continue functioning like a normal human, but really it's, it's not good for you. <laughs> yeah, there, there serious, serious health familiar. problems by accumulating too much <laughs> sleep, uh, too much sleep deprivation. Yeah. All right. Myth number two, many adults need five or less hours of sleep. And this myth is also interesting. I think comes from a similar place to the previous myth where we kind of think we can get away with less sleep than we actually need. Um, and it does seem from studies I've, I've read through and some of the sources that we've looked at for this episode, there is a very small number of people estimated currently at about one in 4 million Jeez. that are believed to have a genetic mutation that actually allows them to naturally sleep for shorter periods and then still get the same effect as a normal person sleeping for a normal amount of time. But hmm. Super rare. One in four million is the estimate. Might even be less common than that. So, so you're telling me I'm not one of them. <laughs> no, you're not a half elf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but what I will say is that um, typically as you age, you do need less sleep for your body to function than a younger individual. Um, they actually recommend that people around the age of 10 or so be getting like close to 10 hours of sleep a night. And as you reach adulthood, it drops to about between seven to nine is the recommended number of hours. And we'll get to more of that in a bit. But um, yeah, five hours isn't enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they say we'll get to the next point. <laughs> All right. Myth number three, dreaming only happens during REM sleep. Now, if you're not familiar uh, I'll get into some of the, the sleep cycles in a bit, but uh, REM is one of the sleep cycles and it stands for rapid eye movement. It's a, a section of uh, your cycle of sleep throughout the night. And this myth kind of comes from the fact that typically the most intense dreams happen during REM sleep. Uh, you're referring to REM careless, right? Uh, one red white for a two, three flying haste. 
prevents all the damage that we did. <laughs> okay, yeah. never mind. You Rem know, I never pass a REM. REM Carolus is not asleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has haste. When I see a Rem Carolus, I, I wake up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, most, a lot of people think that you, you can only dream during REM sleep. Uh, dreaming can actually occur during any stage of sleep, but typically you have your more intense dreams or more um, uninterrupted dreams, I suppose, during during REM sleep. That said, dreams in REM and non-REM sleep also tend to have different content. So you'll have like more r- vivid or bizarre dreams during REM stages and then kind of more mundane, less exciting uh, dreams outside of REM. This is, Dreams are really fascinating to me. I actually almost went into, I almost went through school to become a psychologist and then I would have had a PhD and st- put my focus into uh, sleep and, and dream studies, like researching dreams. See, you could have become one of those researchers that's trying to map and like image people's dreams, which... The science is scary and developing. It's not quite there yet. I think Vsauce had a good uh, a good video on this. So that's why I was so fascinated by the topic because we like, despite all the tech and imaging machines and all sorts of crazy ways we have to evaluate like the different synapses that are firing in the brain, like we just know nothing about sleep. In the grand scheme yeah. of things, we know very little about dreams or sleep or any of that kind of stuff. So really, really interesting topic. But then I knew I had to go to school for like 12 years. And let's <laughs> Who wants to do that? Right. All right. Myth number four, napping makes up for lack of sleep at night. No, don't tell me. So many people who get insufficient sleep do try to use naps to catch up on sleep throughout the day. But actually, studies show that this just tends to throw your sleep schedule further out of whack, uh, making it harder to actually fall asleep at normal bedtimes. And then you also typically, you may know this from experience, but long naps can also mean that you wake up disoriented and sluggish you, rather than actually rested and ready to tackle something important. Yeah, naturally. That said, uh, you know, napping is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's okay to take naps. But if you're using naps to try to cope with like repeated and regular sleep deprivation, you're not going to get the effects that you want and you're not going to be able to compensate for that sleep deprivation. When you do need a nap, it's typically said to be best to keep it shorter than 30 minutes and don't really nap past early afternoon. Hmm. And the reasoning behind that is, of course, because the, the closer to a normal bedtime that you nap, the easier it is for your sleep cycle and and internal clock to kind of get out of whack. So you want to try to keep that in check as much as possible. So those are four pretty interesting, in my opinion, uh, sleep myths. How many of those did you believe or didn't believe? Or like, were you aware of half of these? I guess I never really consciously thought about too many. I've definitely heard that like adults can get away with less than, or like around six hours of sleep, uh, which I guess would fall under the second myth. And that's just, uh, that's unfortunate. But uh, the dreaming I, I had, I had heard of that, uh, that, that it can happen. I knew it happened most during REM, but I, I, I hadn't really thought about much. Uh, I guess you, you sometimes realize when it's happening during non-REM, when it feels like a different type of dream. Um, the last one uh, that napping can make up for it. Who, who was supposed to teach me that? Who's supposed to tell me this? <laughs> what was I supposed to just figure this out by myself? You know, like, yeah, you anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's why our listeners listening. All right. So let's talk about some important things that go into making good sleep, good sleep. First of all, the sleep cycles. So while we sleep, we do cycle through what scientists call like the four sleep stages. Um, Adults typically complete four to five cycles a night, whereas I think children actually go a bit longer than that because they sleep longer on average. I mean, I do enjoy cycling. So you have my attention once again. So the stages include three progressively deeper sleep stages, followed by a fourth sleep stage that, unlike the first three, features rapid eye movement, which is where REM sleep comes into play. And actually, if you if you look at videos of folks 
like under watch while they go through REM sleep. You can actually see their eyeballs moving back and forth. That's why it's called rapid eye movement. Where wow. eyes literally do move quickly. They like flicker back and forth. Um, so each sleep cycle typically takes between 90 to 120 minutes to complete. And the proportion of time spent in each of these stages shifts actually throughout the night as you progress through the cycles, which is something I didn't know going into this. I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, hmm. So like at the beginning, during the first sleep cycle, REM sleep, for instance, might just be 10 minutes. But by the final cycle of the night, REM sleep can be as, as long as 60 minutes of the cycle. In terms of your actual physical well-being and like your health, sleep is as important as diet and exercise. It's why one of the most common uh, recommendations for people who are just getting into the gym uh, is to make sure you're getting enough sleep. Lack of sleep causes people to exercise less. You actually, if you sleep less, you'll eat less the next day or you rather you'll eat more the next day. Mm -hmm. And even if you eat well and exercise, you lose less fat when you're not getting enough sleep. So if you're trying to take, get rid of some weight, put on some muscle, you should be sleeping more. Again, this is a recurring theme. It sucks that these people are right. You know, (laughs) like, where's the fun in this kind of lifestyle? The sad thing to me though, is that like, these are things that are pretty, again, we don't, we meaning humanity, scientists in general and such don't know all that much in the grand scheme of things about sleep and the way that it affects the mind. But we do know enough about it to be, to be wary and to know how to get like, how to improve it and, and what kind of effects it does have on, on people. And it's really sad to me that given all these studies from a work life balance perspective, more people aren't, and more businesses don't care about this stuff, you know, like, and yeah, sure money. I I get it. Like, you know, there are reasons that businesses ignore this kind of stuff, but, uh, it's really sad. I, I think again, from a mental health perspective, like we, we should, we should be focused on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second thing to keep in mind, again, I mentioned this earlier sleeps, uh, studies show that adults need about seven to nine hours of sleep to function properly and avoid what is clinically called sleep deprivation. Um, that's actually kind of interesting. I always default to taking the eight hours. I think pretty much everybody has heard like, Oh, you should get eight hours of sleep. It's interesting to think that like you actually can get away with less and some people need more. And I think the range actually, uh, accounts for variations in genetics because Mm -hmm. like we mentioned before, folks who can go with a lot less. Um, I would imagine everybody has some kind of range where you like your optimal sleep is not the same as your best friend. So I guess I should figure out what my actual optimal amount of time is. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. And and I think it's actually a lot really easy to find that out nowadays because there's so much technology that has like trackers and things. Right? Yeah. You can get, you can get wearables, even at rings, watches, bracelets that mm. will track your sleep. Your phone can even do it through like audio tracking based on uh, sounds you make at night. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of, yeah. And then you can like track over time. Here's even the sleep cycles you can track. Um, so you can get a lot of information about how your body is acting while you're sleeping. And I think, uh, I think it's something that everybody should put a little bit more effort into figuring out myself. I don't, I don't actually know what my optimal time is. Did you see me yawn just now? Oh yeah. Your yawn counts at like four or five now. Oh God, we got to speed this up, man. As mentioned before, sleep also directly impacts your body's metabolism, thought processing capability, thought processing capabilities, memory, um, even your respiratory and immune system health can be uh, affected by sleep or lack thereof. Uh, your heart and circulatory systems as well. So sleep has a very heavy hand in your body functioning properly. Uh, akin, I, I maybe maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but I would throw out there even akin to like oxygen, like cut off oxygen and you you can't survive. Cut off sleep. It'll take a little bit more time than losing oxygen, but you you won't survive without sleep either. Yeah. And actually, to that point, studies have shown that 17 hours without sleep, in other words, getting less than seven hours of sleep a night, 
impairs the body and the mind the same way a blood alcohol content of 0.05 does. And in the U.S., hmm. the legal limit for driving under the influence is 0.08. So you're almost there with just seven hmm. hours of sleep. Huh. So yikes. Right. <laughs> That's a, uh, I mean, on one hand, I, I'd, I'd say that I've managed to catch myself from falling into like a really bad habit where I'm, I'm sleeping for like five hours every night. Part of that's like, you know, work-life balance things. But uh, what about the people that don't stop themselves? You know, like how many other of those drivers out there have been driving uh, <laughs> on like four, three hours of sleep? Like, yikes. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no real way to like evaluate that. Like if a cop pulls you over, they can't be like, you had two hours of sleep last night. You should. <laughs> What's your bedtime, citizen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the same overreach way you take, there. Like, a breathalyzer and see somebody's blood alcohol content. But it's it's that was that that kind of blew me away. I mean, that's that's saying that going with sl- seven hours of sleep is almost the same as driving drunk. That's nuts. That's terrifying. Yeah. And I'm curious how, how much I, I wasn't able to find any statistics on it, but I'm curious, like at what intervals that goes up, right? Like that was how little sleep, sleep do you have to have to be functionally equivalent to a drunk driver? Yeah. Right. And I would imagine hmm. that compounds, right? If like seven yeah. hours is a 0. 0.05, then like six is probably like 0. 0.08. You're probably there already. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about things that people think about sleep that are not accurate. We've talked about what is accurate about sleep. How do we actually do it better? (laughs) How do we sleep? Um, First of all, be consistent. I think this is something that a lot of uh, studies I've read and a lot of scientists will kind of agree with doctors and such will, will agree with be consistent. And by that, I mean, go to bed at the same time each night, get up at the same time every morning, including weekends. It's really easy to just try to like convince yourself, oh, I can sleep in or I can catch up on weekends. Just try to be as consistent as possible throughout the week. And also, this is a big one. Avoid doing anything besides sleeping in your bed. I know that sounds really weird, Mm. but there's actually, there have been studies that show there's a mental link between doing other stuff in bed and lack of sleep. And Mm. basically what you're trying to do with with avoiding doing stuff in bed is train your mind to think, once I get in bed, I go to sleep. And this helps a lot of folks with uh, insomnia or borderline insomnia where your brain kind of gets put into a mode when you get in bed is like, this is, hmm. this, I get here. This means I go to sleep. Interesting. So it's almost like you're, uh, you're Pavloving your own exactly. mind. Exactly. Likewise, make sure you your bedroom's quiet, dark, relaxing, a comfortable temperature. It's typically hmm. better to have a colder room than a hot room, but comfortable temperature should be whatever that is for you. Um, I know for a fact that, uh, colder rooms will put students to sleep. So <laughs> that's, that's the trick. Yeah, there you go. Um, Yeah, too hot of a room and it's pretty difficult to sleep. Too cold, I guess you have the same problem, but you can always bundle up. Yeah. Um, In terms of keeping things quiet and, you know, trying to only sleep when you get in bed, get rid of your electronic devices. Don't put TVs in your bedroom, folks. It's it's a really bad idea. Don't do it. Uh, (laughs) And then, I mean, next thing you're going to tell me, I shouldn't spend an hour staring at my phone before I go to bed every night, right? Probably not a great idea. Yeah, I would, I would put the smartphone down, read a book or something instead. Um, All right, I'm out of here. I've I've heard enough of this nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Especially because like, and, and I would say, you know, reading a book is only so good because you have to have a light on if you're reading a physical book. And if you're on your phone, then it's the same problem as being on your phone. But that's where a Kindle comes in because a Kindle with the paper white screens, they work really nice. They help me fall asleep every night. Hmm. This is almost turning into like an intervention (laughs) 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 where you're like, actually this stuff all works. And I'm like, actually, I don't know about that. (laughs) 
another another big component to getting better sleep: avoid large meals, caffeine, or alcohol. Right, like close to being close to your bedtime. Uh, meal scheduling seems to help folks. I haven't tried this one myself, but from what I've read, meal scheduling tends to tends to be helpful. Um, most of what I've read has suggested not eating heavy meals within three hours of going to sleep. Hmm. I've heard two actually, but it, okay. I'm sure it's honestly three is probably even better, right? The, yeah, the further away it is probably the better. Yeah. And I don't know if that has to do with like your digestive cycle or whatever. Um, mm. It may just be that having an overfull stomach is uncomfortable. And so it makes it harder to sleep. I, I'm not yeah, sure. And I mean, it honestly is. Yeah. Um, get some exercise. Being physically active during the day can help you fall asleep more easily at night. And this kind of actually plays into another myth that I didn't include on the list was that uh, doing like exercising right before bed is prevents you from sleeping. Hmm. There's actually no correlation one way or the other. It doesn't seem to affect people. doesn't seem to help sleep. doesn't seem to hurt sleep. But being physically active throughout the day can help you uh, sleep better, which is kind of a nice cycle, right? Because sleeping a lot helps you exercise better, which helps you see like helps you see better growth from your exercises and exercise yeah. sleep better. So it's like a nice it's health cycle. stuff. Oh, it's so annoying. And this is one. So this is not something that I found like real evidence to support being something that helps. But I find personally that I tend to be able to stay more consistent with waking up and such when I'm waking up at the same time the sun rises. Hmm. So like not necessarily sunrise specifically, but if I'm waking up when it's brighter out, I get it right out of bed. If I'm waking up when it's still dark, I, I have a really hard time getting out of bed. Hmm. Um, and so something that I've been thinking to try is to get a smart light and programmatically set it to simulate the sunrise in the morning. So it'll like slowly turn on. Hopefully that'll help with like, I mean, now that daylight savings happened, it's not as big of an issue, but the first, the last few months have been tough for me getting out of bed in the morning when it's like still pitch black out. <laughs> yeah. So here's the fun tie in. I think all this stuff probably makes you a better magic player too, because you need your brain at full capacity to play a good game. Right. And I've definitely had nights where I've been like, you know, I'm just, on a random free night, I'm just up at like 1am drafting or something. I know I'm not playing optimally. I'm doing it for fun. But at that point, you know, what's it really to you? And if you're trying to play optimally, you wouldn't want to do that kind of thing. So I think a lot of these are actually still applicable as far as like consistency and making sure you have a comfortable environment and all that stuff that that's also applicable in other ways too. But, um, I, I, I've definitely noticed that I play my best when I feel up and and uh and fully awake and i also feel my best playing during that so for example i think a lot of people have experienced when you're like playing commander with a bunch of friends whether in paper or virtually uh, by webcam right and it's like it's like past midnight you know like you've got another like one of your opponents just cyclo rifted and you know it's going to be another 30 minutes in this game and you're looking at the clock and you're like like really and you start to get that feeling And I don't know if there's a word for it, but it's when that the fun of Commander starts to turn to like a little bit of spite. And it's like, you you know, that you only have maybe like one or maybe half a game left in you. Uh, I think a big part of that is the fact that it's late at night, you know? Yeah, I mean, I get a similar effect. I was just thinking, thinking about that. I get a similar effect at tournaments or like longer events. Mm. And and I think it, it boils down to fatigue at that point. But um, you know, the, the tournament setting where you're like round after round after round, you're, it's me- very mentally taxing. You, you're making tons of decisions. You don't really get much of a break unless you can win really fast and you're, you're, yeah, you don't get a break. So you're doing that for like eight hours in some of like the GP settings, right? The long, longer tournament. Yeah. That's, 
kind of the functional equivalent of working and then trying to do stuff after work, right? Like, Mm. you know, most of us these days are not physical laborers. Some are, and kudos because I couldn't do it. But those of us who aren't physical laborers are using our brains all day and fatigue is real. And then, you know, if you're not getting sleep to recoup from that, then you kind of start the next day, you know, a couple steps behind, right? So yeah, I think uh, I think all this stuff kind of wraps up pretty nicely. So uh, for Brothers War, we're doing midnight pre-release, right? <laughs> I mean, once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's fine. You know, like if once in a while you deviate from some of these things, but I think it's the habits that probably are the most important, right? And if you break those once in a while to like go have fun with friends or uh, go to the occasional midnight pre-release, I think that's probably fine. As long as you're able to then pick back up with your habits and not break it multiple times such that you end up breaking your habit. Um, we do have to figure out pre-release though. It's coming up. Yeah, you're right. I I actually take the same approach when it comes to like quote unquote dieting. And by that, I just mean like what you're eating. Um, Mm -hmm. if you're, if your default state is to eat healthier foods, then you never really have to think about when you quote unquote cheat because you just can, (laughs) your, your, your default state is eating good stuff. So you can have have something crappy when you want it. Well, I think that sums it up. Get more sleep and uh, hopefully you can try some of these tips and tricks. Let us know in the Discord what works for you to help you get better sleep. We'd love to hear about that. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Huge thanks to everybody who continues to support us there. We really, really appreciate it. And let us know what you think of Ben's draft if you do check out the, uh, <laughs> check out the, the pre-show for this week. Oh, man. Maybe don't. Maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> just don't. <laughs> If you'd like to find us outside the Discord, you can find us on Twitter at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. All right, so I don't know if anyone remembers from last year, but I feel like I told this story on the podcast about how I, I got good at making homemade apple cider out of spite. I think that story definitely came up last fall. I think so. Basically, this other guy also named Fisher yeah. uh, at like a school thing, like said he was going to bring a bunch of cider, and then I was like, well... You can't just bring a bunch of cider. <laughs> so then uh, I went about this whole big thing, made a bunch of it. I'm actually about to go make a whole bunch more for a different school now. So uh, the follow up a year later is that it's a good skill to have to, to be able to make homemade cider because it's good. Uh, it takes a long time. It's going to take a few hours, but I guess I'll finish this draft in the meantime. Uh, the real sign off that I want to talk about. It has been a very fun week on Twitter. <laughs> have you been following you mean just the acquisition of twitter and elon taking over yes or or just magic okay yeah yeah of course i'm following it <laughs> okay so i've had beef with mr musk for a long time besides just the fact that i don't know we could we could talk about his family uh being directly involved with like an apartheid related emerald mine in south africa uh we could talk about his uh various list of accusations uh for which Involve one involving a horse, one involving a cat, which neither of the details of which we should really discuss on this podcast, but they're both absolutely nuts. It's it's nuts to me that this guy has branded himself as an engineer, which is something tangential to both of our lines of work, right? Uh, I think uh, we see ourselves as STEM guys in general, right? Uh, and this guy who purports to be the, the king of, of the STEM guys, man, one time I tried getting into a Tesla, the flat like handles on those things. There's no human factor psychology in this at all. It's like the, anyway, uh, I, I could go off about this guy and his many, many nonsensical ramblings, but, uh, I saw a tweet this week and it said, it's like, uh, it's like Elmer Fudd bought a website full of bugs, bunnies, 
You know, <laughs> like what do you expect to do when you waltz in and, and you say, all right, actually, a lot of this doesn't work. I know better. And I think I'm going to start arguing with a bunch of the top creators on the site uh, to, to bring back comedy and enforce free speech. When now, mere days later, he's permabanning people that are impersonating him or making parody accounts of him, of which there are many, many funny ones. Yeah, I uh, so I, I, I think I'm on a slightly different side of the fence than you when it comes to Elon Musk. I think he's actually a genius. I think he I think that the, the the Elon Musk the world sees is a facade that he puts up on purpose. I think interesting. He's actually, I think he's actually much more intelligent than he lets on. And I think most of what he does is meticulously planned out. I think the acquisition to buy Twitter and the the whole like, oh wait, I'm not gonna buy it, and then he was forced to buy it thing was totally planned. I don't think that was an accident. Hmm. I think he meant for all that to happen. Not to say that I agree with all of his decisions, but I think he's much more intelligent than he lets on. Um, I, I think he is too. I think he it, he's a very smart person. He wouldn't have gotten to this position if he wasn't. Sure. Um, but at the same time, th- there's something so funny to me about someone who all he wants to do is be a funny poster. You know, like there, there are some people out there who, who've got it. All he really wants, and he will apparently go to the lengths of acquiring Twitter uh for for this like he wants to be he wants to be a meme lord you know who doesn't you know who can blame him um for sure and yet despite everything he can't seem to do it (laughs) which is is so like i i personally find that his humor hasn't aged past like 2013 reddit you know and i think as a society (laughs) we've come we've come a good way since then um, yeah, business acumen, whatever aside, I mean, Tesla's they're, sure they're whatever SpaceX. I'm, there's a lot of talented people in that. Um, but him as a person, I just, I just find that he's such a funny like entity. I think that, I think the world is, it's hard to say if it's better or worse for having him in it because it's probably worse in that. I think he just fired like a few thousand people for, Oh, this is something that I actually wanted to get your opinion on. So I heard there were firings this week and I, I heard that he did, I saw some, some like people from like former Twitter workers saying that he did an analysis where he, he ran a program to find the coders that had coded the least amount, like the, the, he, he, he like Mm -hmm. did like a a hierarchical list of uh, all the like code writers in the company at Twitter and fired the the bottom 10% bottom of which uh, like pure lines of code, like output. Mm -hmm. Like, like number of lines of code output, he fired the bottom 10%. Is it true that encoding, like, is quantity quality? Is that a valid no, practice? Actually, it's, it's the opposite, typically. The, the, the fewer lines of code you can write. So if you, have, if you have the same algorithm written twice and one is done in fewer lines, that's more impressive than the one that has most more lines. It takes more thought and planning to, to write code in fewer lines than it does to write them in, in more lines. It's kind of similar to writing English. Like <laughs> a lot of times, and this isn't something people will talk about in like schools and stuff, but um, a lot of like professional writers will tell you the shorter something is, the harder it was to write because it's harder to find the right hmm. words to say the thing in fewer words. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Coding is exactly the same. The other thing I would be concerned about with that is uh, I, I would hope that that algorithm, and I haven't heard about this. This is the first I'm hearing of this, but I would hope that whatever program you use to figure that out, because it's actually quite easy to find that stuff the way that source control works. Um, I would hope that it accounted for like 
time at the company. You know, I would hate for like somebody who's been on the job two days to be like, well, now you're gone. You only wrote <laughs> two lines of code. Well, that's the other funny thing. Um, there have been other people saying that they've been actually asking people back. They've they been have. like sending up apology letters and saying that. like, actually, <laughs> come, come on back real quick. Stuff too. That is... God, it is. There's a lot of rough things about being alive at this time right now. You know, born too late to explore the world, born too early to explore the stars, but born just at the right time to see a guy with a little too much money and a little, <laughs> a too, <laughs> maybe just a little, and um, uh, maybe uh, too little self control in some cases as far as his posting goes. Uh, it's it's been a funny day on the internet. 